Get up. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland. And Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's happening? Man, we're in the barn, the podcast HQ this morning. Yeah, studio, I think studio. is what they call it. Studio. Well, most of the time, studios don't have doors where people open them in the middle of it. That door sounds like two cats shoved in the hinges when it opens. We about, oh yeah. man, yeah. My anxiety level is like <laughs> I need to. I need some sort of medicine to just kind of bring my blood pressure down. That's right. Pray we've before got, we eat kind of helps for yeah, sure. We've got these microphones on, and then a headset where you can kind of hear yourself. Yeah. Uh, Russ opened the door just a second ago, and it, it was like somebody rattled. It was kind of like if you could imagine somebody taking a commercial leaf blower and like surprising you and blowing it right in both ears at the same time. It was like, oh my gosh! Yep, <laughs> uh, rage and anxiety and blood pressure all at the same. Just boom, right there. That's right. Well, speaking of rage, rage and anxiety <laughs> and high blood pressure, yeah, it's a great way to key up a hot topic. We've got a hot topic <laughs> that I that I really want you to introduce here oh man so i guess it's my turn to talk about fanning huh you know there's there's if you have any interest in turkey hunting and any um if you've paid attention to social media at all there's an absolute this spring has just been a ton of scuttle about fanning and um, I'm not going to give it the courtesy at this point of calling it reaping because that's I, that, I don't know why that term just annoys the snot out of me. But yeah. a lot of people call it reaping. Sure. And, um, man, there's been a bunch of podcasts. We've done a podcast about it. Um, to be quite honest, there's been some appropriate podcasts and some inappropriate podcasts, in my, in my opinion. There have been some folks on both sides just, you know, lobbing out uh, I feel like grenades, yeah. you know, with no regard for consequences of comments. And um, and that goes for some of the folks that are supporting fanning, sure. for sure. And it goes for some of the people who don't support fanning, who are uh, opposed to it. I feel like there's been, to be candid, very grievous errors, errors made on both sides. Um, I, you know, um, if you want to know where those podcasts are, send us a message, and I'll be glad to send them to you. I'm not going to broadcast them here, but there's been some, um, pardon my French, I feel like some industry leaders have really shown their ass on this topic. And um, our rule in the Halford household, by the way, is that you're totally okay to cuss if you can. If you can, preface it? If, no. Okay. If, if, uh, you don't have to preface it, but you have to be able to explain what the word means and an appropriate time for context. And it, on this particular topic, I feel like some of these folks have indeed shown their ass. Okay. Um, um, and I say that because my mother's listening. <laughs> and probably your mother might listen. My father-in-law <laughs> definitely will. So, um, Hey, Doc. But, <laughs> um, I, so 
there's a handful of kind of things that I, I'd like us to cover today. But, you know, the, the couple that I'm seeing the most is sort of this idea that because we're hunters, we all have to support each other. Yeah. And we all have to, you know, somehow that gets misinterpreted as, as we have to be okay with bad behavior from one another. Mm. And so I want to point out on the front end that it's okay to not be okay with one another's behavior and, and still put forth a unified front to the non-hunting community. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like if we've got PETA over here, you and I can disagree on tactics and behavior. I can say, I don't think that you're doing right. Yep. And then you and I can still um, put forth a unified front to PETA. So, so there's, there's sort of in, in all this scuttle and in this debate, there's, there's a couple of underlying assumptions that I just think are absolute garbage. And that is one of them. Yeah. That, the, the idea that we need to all just swallow hard and take it, but not criticize each other. Let's yep. put it that way. Yep. Okay. Because somehow that's going to erode our hunting rights. That's absolute garbage. You know, for example, Matt Busbis should not be dressed up like a civil war, you know, soldier, crawling behind a fan and shooting a turkey just for YouTube likes. That is inappropriate hunting behavior. And my disagreeing with him on that topic and his behavior is not eroding our hunting rights. So you're wrong about that. If that's your position, I'm yeah. sorry, you're wrong. Okay. So, so I think now having said that, when, you know, when a brother is doing wrong, there's appropriate ways to handle that, and there's inappropriate ways to handle that. And I have seen both on social media this spring. And probably, just to be quite honest, I've probably been a part of both, appropriate and inappropriate. It's constantly a struggle, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're all sinners, and we all can be a jackass from time to time. And so I think it's important that we, that we recognize you know, what is appropriate and what's inappropriate. And yeah. I think we should be able to call one another out with – not necessarily always in public. I think that the Bible sets a pretty uh, solid example for how we ought to handle it. First, go man to, to man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And if that doesn't work, then go as a group. You know, and, and I, I realize we're not talking about life and death situations. Yeah, giant here. moral situations. Yeah, but 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 how we act in giant moral situations is also a pretty good pattern for how we ought to act in in small ways. Like for example, you know, if you're if you're shooting turkeys off the limb. And I don't think that that's right, even though it's legal in my state. The most effective way for me to get you to behave differently is for me to buy you a beer or stop by with a six-pack and go, hey, let's talk about something. Yeah. You know, Rob, um, it's not a good idea to shoot turkeys off the limb. Here's why. You know, it's, it's hard to tell which one's the gobbler. It's not a very good shot. <laughs> I like can attest to that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? I do. That yeah. conversation is very different, is different and generates – a, a solid consideration from you mm -hmm. and it generates um quite possibly my best chance to get you to act yeah. different well and it also establishes like a mutual trust, trust and affection for and respect yeah if i if i if i screenshot or screen record you doing this and then i mock you on my instagram story the chances that you're going to feel like sitting down and drinking a beer with me and talking about this like man to man very it's, small it's none yeah. yeah i hand you a bottle of beer you're gonna want to hit me in the head with it you know you're, you're <laughs> all of a sudden now we're sure. enemies yeah and so it does create a lot of friction yeah it, it creates undue friction but but it, here in this world of social media we've somehow we've elevated these people to have the guts to mock things you know and 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 they're our, they're like our heroes you know they're so i 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not calling out these guys that, that, that mock and that, um, can't remember exactly what the term is, but, but that, you know, draw attention to this. I, I do think that there's, they play a, they play a, there's a small piece of benefit in what they do, keeping people accountable. But I think that as a group, we have a responsibility to provide a unified front to the non-hunting community, but we also have a mutual responsibility to one another to hold each other accountable to good ethical standards of good sportsmanship, good conservation practices, all those things. We ought to be able to have those conversations amongst ourselves without without prohibiting ourselves or, or shooting ourselves in the foot with the non-hunting community. It's no different than, than in your marriage. You know, you, you disagree with something that your wife is doing or that she, she disagrees with something you're doing. You're probably, probably your best bet is to just step aside from the kids and talk about it in private, whether it's on the back porch or in your bedroom, like close the door, talk for just a second. If dad mocks mom in front of his in-laws and all his kids, mom's probably not going to be willing to listen to what dad has to say. Yeah. Yeah. And dad's probably also not going to sleep all night, at least in the bed. He's probably going to sleep on the couch and, yeah. <laughs> you know. And the rest of the family's going to jump down his throat too, hopefully. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> so we all know this. Yeah. We handle situations in our business and our work life this way and in our marriages. Like, like let's, let's treat one another with this same way. That's really my point. The, the, the next point that I kind of want to make just as a, as a ground rule here is, there's been all this scuttle about it's legal, you know, so so I will do it. It's, you know, like it's it's legal in my state, blah, blah, blah. You know what? There's a lot of things that are legal that are a bad idea. A lot. I mean, and we can go down this long, long list of things that are legal but are a bad idea. You know, it's not a crime for me to cheat on my wife. But it's not a good idea for my family for me to go sleeping around the neighborhood. Like, it's going to create friction between me and my wife. It's going to create friction between me and my kids and my parents and my church. And, like, it's just a bad idea. But it's not a crime. You know, uh, uh, laws are not intended to guide morality. They're intended, they, they're, they're intended to be a benchmark for, like, this is the bare minimum. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Did you have something you, you can? Well, no, I was just to... I was just thinking. You know, my mom in some conversations sometimes has said that laws step in when morality fails, when we can't govern ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the a thought too. And anyway, but. no, that's good. I mean, legal is a baseline. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. not necessarily the goal. It's never intended to be the goal of behavior just to be legal. You know, legal is a fence around the yard if you want to use a metaphor, like a broad parameter. But there's so much more to our behavior than just what's the perimeter, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like I said, you can go down through a long list of things that are legal but are a bad idea. It's legal for me to chain smoke cigarettes for the next 25 days in a row, 24 hours a day, but I'll be dead. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah. a terrible choice to make for my body. Sure. Same same with alcohol or or Coca-Cola for that re- for that matter. I mean, yeah. if you just constantly drank Cokes all day long for two or three days, you're not a criminal. But you're a dumbass. I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's going to destroy your body. You know, you're not wrong. And so so let's, yeah. let's stop talking about fanning, decoys, turkey, like start dates, hatches. Let's stop talking about conservation in terms of just what's legal. Mm -hmm. Because in order for a law to get made, somebody's making an interpretation prior to that law about what is good for 
the wildlife. Yep. And then the laws are sort of a reflection of our value system. So right. there's tons of, of cases, and it happens every year, where laws get modified because we need to change things. Mm-hmm. So let's be mature enough to disagree with one another with respect and candor, and let's be mature enough to not just say it's legal and move on. I mean, that's stupid. That's immature and that's mm. dumb. So let, let's let's be mature enough to say, you know, smart people think ahead, yeah. or prudent people, let's yeah. say, not just smart, but people who care, people who are prudent, think ahead about what is best and have the ability to have a conversation about what's best for the resource, mm. not just say, oh, it's legal, so we're not even going to debate it. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, and one of the things Chamberlain, too, was talking about last time was that the laws are not always as fast or not even based on the research that yep. – because the research may not be there right. yet. So some of that has to be a right. gut check to say, yep. well, you know, do we think this is what we do based on what we're seeing right. versus – There's a gray area between science and art. Yeah. And management of wildlife is a combination of art and science. Absolutely. And, and I mean, to his point, on this particular topic – Man, it, it might be five or ten years before we have enough credible science that's documented, published, mm. you know, in order to be able to put something out there. All right, so I'm going to take a deep breath because I kind of got fired up there in, in the <laughs> laying the groundwork, and, and I'm not building to just go guns blazing on fanning. Sure. Um, so, so what I want to show in this podcast is that just because fanning is legal doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea, given the current landscape of our turkey population now that's a lot of my opinion in there okay? yeah but i got asked for my opinion <laughs> yep. so so i'm offering it here and that's i, I just wanted to kind of lay that as a ground rule before i offer my opinion here sure sure okay so i think i think something that would be helpful is to kind of continue to further define okay some terms yep so when you talk about fanning or reaping yep. what is the what is the spence alford and the other kind of recognized sure. definition of that sure well i wouldn't say this is my definition okay but, so what but is let's the just definition? call the definition okay. right all right so fanning is taking a fan a, tur- a gobbler's fan and um some people put it on like a flat decoy like i think flextone made one um something chicken funky chicken or or i can't remember but it's like a it's like a shell of the front third of the gobbler's chest and then it has a piece of Velcro on the back, and you, mm-hmm. and you Velcro a fan to it. Okay. It's got a little handle on it. Mojo makes the same thing called the scoot and shoot. Um, there are several others. I think Montana Decoy makes one. But the idea is you've got a gobbler out in a field or somewhere out in the distance that you can see. You take that fan, and you crawl behind that fan, or you, you creep, you know, you advance towards the turkey using that fan. And, and, and so what, what you see and what oftentimes happen is a high percentage of the time when that gobbler out in a field or in an open area sees that fan advancing toward him, it triggers all of those dominance things that Chamberlain has talked about and forces that bird to fight. He may not be the most dominant bird, but the overwhelming majority of the birds, in my opinion, that see that fan are going to advance toward it. Every now and then you'll have one run away from it, but it, it's it's a highly effective method for killing a strutting turkey out in the field. You, you can also, it works very well. I say well. <laughs> it's very effective with birds that aren't strutting. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's 
it's a method that allows you to advance toward a bird that otherwise wouldn't be coming your direction. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Um, how is, I mean, so does, is that a, when you talk about it, is that a real fan, synthetic fan, doesn't matter, oh, just any of it? I don't, I don't think it really matters. Okay. Um, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter. Okay. I, 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 at least for terms of, in terms of defining this. Yeah. I don't think it matters. It's, we're just talking about a, something that visually appears to be a fan. Gotcha. Some okay. people build body on the front of it. Some people don't. Okay. So how is, so the presence of the fan, when I think about the presence of the fan just being there at all, how is that different than a full strut decoy? Um, visually to the turkey, it's not all that different. I think the primary difference and the reason this is such a hot topic is because with fanning, quote unquote, you're advancing towards the turkey. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that without that fan, if you advance towards that turkey, whether you're on your knees or on your belly or standing up tall, you're going to get seen. I mean, they've got unbelievable vision, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the that's like their number one defense is their is their ability to see. Yeah, and so your your ability to encroach on or advance towards them with the fan gives you a leg up, and and robs them of their number one. <laughs> defense mechanism which is sight, sight. okay yeah. and so, if you don't believe that just try crawling out towards a turkey without a fan in a cross open field i mean yeah. you ain't gonna get within so, 50 yards unless you've got some sort of an object blocking you from him sure is there a difference in the static presentation of the fan as far than versus, like a stationary male decoy well, yeah i guess what i'm saying is if you have a fan that's a full strut decoy and it's sitting there and a and a turkey flies down and sees it is that any different than yeah, um, in terms of an outcome I, yeah, base, good, good good question. I think that um, therein lies a lot of the debate. Mm-hmm. Okay, because sitting stationary at the base of a tree, hunting a strutting, uh, hunting with a strutter decoy, yep, is very effective. I mean, I, I mean, everybody has seen videos, and we've all done it, where you're sitting there, you got a strutter decoy, and here comes a gobbler, and he's running in, and he just beats the crap out of it. Like, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a slam dunk. You're killing that turkey. You know what I mean? Um, where it's different, in my view, and I think in, in, it'd be hard to debate this, but, you know, when you're sitting and your decoy is stationary, the turkey has to advance towards you whether it's fly down and come towards you on a roost hunt or whether it's you get his attention midday and he has to advance towards you, he's advancing towards you as opposed to you advancing towards him. Okay. I think that biologically, and I'm not a biologist, but I think that, you know, the reaction that you see from the turkey in the last, say, 100 yards or 50 yards, it's very similar, right? I mean, the turkey, the the one, the, the gobbler you're hunting is charging yeah. towards your position. So – the 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 culmination of the event is the same. Ends up with a dead turkey and he's charging it, you know, most of the time. But the the stuff it takes to lead up to that mm-hmm. is the difference between, in my opinion, hunting and and you know, it, it that's where it gets messy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking of, you know, just going on this male decoy kind of spread, what's the difference between fanning and an afternoon hunt where there's a little hill where you can see a gobbler and you go up and you walk up and you put a turkey kind of up, you put a decoy up towards the top of the hill so he can see it. And then you go back and sit in the tree line. I don't, yeah. that, you know, it, it's all that, that starts to get gray, right? Yeah. That's but, what I'm, but when you, when you crawl up to a hill and you put the decoy and you go back to your spot, you're going to sit there and wait. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, and so it might be 30 minutes. It might be three hours before yeah. he advances to your position. But that's a different scenario than driving down the road in a pickup truck, seeing a turkey out in a pasture, thinking whose pasture is that, they're not going to care, or calling the landowner and, you know, getting permission spur of the moment to a spot you don't normally have, can I go kill this turkey, then crawl out there and kill the turkey. Like, that's a a different activity than put on your turkey hunting stuff, go out in the woods, decide where you're going to hide, put the decoy in a spot where a turkey can see it, sit down, wait on the turkey, like, those are two completely different yeah. activities. So a lot of the question seems to be about the playing field and how how much the turkey gets to influence what happens. You know, I think the reason that playing field is sort of a part of the conversation is because of how the turkey reacts. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so there's – I don't think – I mean, people have all different opinions. There's a lot of people right now that feel like you shouldn't hunt over a male decoy. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's wrong or unfair for the turkey for you to hunt over a male decoy. But do I think it would be beneficial for the turkey population in the United States of America? Yeah, I I really do. Uh, Because I think that male turkey decoys are causing us to kill more turkeys than we intended to. Mm. Like, I think it's a combination of, of too many guys hunting. And I, and I don't say that like a, I wish there were less hunters. I say it in the sense of mathematically how we calculate season limits, bag mm-hmm. limits and things. I think that we're underestimating hunter efficiency or effectiveness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that, I think that the advent of the high-definition decoys that like Zinc has made popular and that Dave Smith has made popular, I mean, those are, in the grand scheme of things, those are only about, 10 or 12 years old like those are those are pretty recent advents like i think the b mobile strutter that primos came out with was somewhere in the 06 07 08 range yeah prior to that you never saw videos of turkeys running up and jumping on a decoy and beating them up i mean the 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 foam feather flex you know decoys you when i was coming up and learning how to hunt you were taught to put the decoy in a place that would allow you to shoot when the turkey boogered because a gobbler that was coming to that flexible, that feather flex, you know, foam decoy, yeah. he was going to booger. It was just a matter of whether he boogered at 20 yards versus at 60 yards. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, what yeah. you wanted was you, you wanted the decoy to create just enough allure to kind of get him into gun range, but you didn't like, you would have never put your decoy at 30 or 40 yards because he was going to booger before he got to that decoy in with lead and, you know, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you needed at a 50, 60 yeah, yard shot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and you couldn't take that shot with lead. I mean, that's a TSS advent, you know, to be able to take an effective 45 or 50 yard shot. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you, you, you got me rabbit trailed there, but no, we can it, come it, back it, to it's, it. But. It's a good one because I do think that we're killing too many turkeys. I just really believe that. And um, I hate saying that because I make turkey calls. I mean, it's how we make a living. And I want there to be more turkey hunters and more turkeys killed and all that. But in the grand scheme of things, and you look across the national landscape of our turkey population, every place that we go is experiencing a significant decline. 
there are some places that are experiencing a little less decline than others, but every place that I've ever been in the last 10 years will say that the people that live there will say, you know, there's a bunch over here, but not near what used to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and so there, there's, I agree with Dr. Chamberlain. It's not just a perception. There's a real decline in the turkey population. And when you ask yourself, why is that? Man, I, I don't honestly believe that it's silly things like chemicals or, you know, it's a little bit of everything probably in my opinion, mm. but I don't think it's just predators either. I, I think that I genuinely think we're killing too many boy turkeys. I mean, um, I, and, and I've been a part of that, man. I mean, you know, I, that's I'm pointing the finger at myself as much as anybody, but like Keelan and I were talking about the other day, 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you two people who recreationally went to more than one or two states. They would hunt in their own states and kill a couple turkeys, and they might go one other place. Like, yeah. like you hunt in Tennessee, and then you go to Missouri for a weekend hunt, or you go to Kentucky one time. But now, how many people do you know – that are burning up the road, shooting turkeys in eight, ten, twelve states, and I and and look, we do this for a living, okay? Yeah. So 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 I I'm not shaming anyone for doing this or even saying that they're doing wrong. It, it's wonderful experience. It's fantastic. I mean, yeah. some of the best memories of my life have been you know road trips, and I love hunting turkeys in other places other than my house. But with gas prices as cheap as they've been the last few years, not. Not this spring. season, <laughs> yeah. but but also with just the, I mean, we're 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 very prosperous society. Like a lot of people can afford a couple hundred dollars in fuel to go kill turkeys in two or three or four other states. You know yeah. what I mean? We're not we're not a third world country and everybody's broke. Like we we have the ability and the tools at our disposal to go kill these turkeys. Like we're just yeah. better turkey hunters in terms of efficiency of killing them than we were twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. that, that you know so. Anyways, we've we've way rabbit trailed down that. Well, but, it's just a, it's a good conversation though because it just adds the color and complexity to the the question. Yeah. So, I guess kind of getting back to other questions. I mean, have mm -hmm. have you fanned turkeys? Is it yes. something you still do? Is it good like, question? Um, yes, I have fanned turkeys, and I've fanned more than <laughs> more than four or five. I've I've fanned quite a few, and um, it is a lot of fun. It is a rush, and Honestly, I think that, and I've got some friends who say this, so I'm not trying to just throw an egg at them, but anybody that tells you that it's not fun is just lying about it. It's a blast. Now, is it, it does it feel like cheating? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, it really does. It, 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 you, you killed, you'd be lying if you said, it wasn't fun, number one. But you'd also be lying if you said, I would have killed that turkey without the fan. Like, most of the time when you fan a turkey, you feel like you've killed a turkey. You might have killed him tomorrow. You might have killed him in four hours. But you weren't going to kill him in the five minutes that you killed him. And 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 to, to be perfectly honest and candid, there have been some moments where you're frustrated with the turkey, and that feels pretty dang good to win. Mm -hmm. Like winning's fun. Yeah. I like killing them. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> and and that's the problem with the fan in debate is that it it helps. I mean, it's effective, and so it's hard 
to have a mature conversation where you say to somebody, hey, you probably shouldn't do that because it's so effective. It's like, yeah. what do you mean I shouldn't do that? I, <laughs> this works. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it, you know, that's, that's, where the, that's where the heat comes in this debate is it's effective, it feels good, it's enjoyable. I mean, and gosh, everybody loves to, to, to win. Do you, you know? find that after you fan a turkey that you are as satisfied with the hunt and you kind of have that all-day excitement that you do after a good hunt where you've worked on one for a while. and You know, I don't know. I don't – I'm not quite that reflective. To me, it's a little bit like the feeling you get after you cut the grass. Like, you're glad it's done, you know, like you move on to the next thing. Hmm. It's great. You enjoy the moment, but you don't sit there and think about, boy, I cut the grass and – 47 minutes today versus cutting the grass in two and a half hours. It's just kind of like you're glad that it's done. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm not trying to cheapen the kill of the turkey at all. No, no, no. I don't think you are. But, I, I was just asking from my experience. I mean, just like I've, I haven't killed a ton of turkeys, but after I kill a turkey, like I'm pretty jacked up for like mm-hmm. a solid 24 hours. Yeah. So, no, it's not the same kind of high that, yeah. you know, being in a block of hardwoods, where one's coming and looking for you and you shoot him mm-hmm. like like that's a different sort of level of that feels different yeah. for sure okay um but I, I don't know i'm not trying to pigeonhole myself here i'm just sure. trying to say that you know for all of us at turkey hunt killing them's fun yeah if, if you don't enjoy the killing part you're either lying or you're you're not really a turkey hunter i mean sure. yeah, that's fun yeah and no I, it is and, for and sure so i, I just i want to I want to give this debate that much transparency to just say that, yes, I've done it. I've done it a bunch. It's incredibly effective. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could I do it tomorrow? Well, if tomorrow is season, would I feel guilty? Yes, I would feel guilty. I would feel guilty because of what I've learned over the last few years from people like Dr. Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – I guess, so let's take a step back, and I want to just kind of, I want to explain my experience with fanning. Okay. Okay. So, I I saw some guys um, doing this fanning thing down in Georgia 11 or 12 years ago. Um, it was some of the, some guys that learned it from Waddell, actually. Um, and they would hold up a fan as a bird. Would, they, they would go in the woods, and they'd, they'd yelp at a turkey, get him fired up, blah, blah, blah. He's coming. And they would just show the fan they'd lift it up show the fan as the bird was coming and then put it down and then show the fan and so it was kind of like this it gave the turkey something to look at yeah and got him really fired up and and there's lots of videos of waddell doing this that you can look up on youtube and it's incredibly effective so i saw this also saw some friends in the midwest doing this and they actually built a, a little pvc frame with theirs and had a body on it, wings, and whole nine yards. And they used it. They were outfitters, and they used it to try to help them kill turkeys for customers that that you know they hadn't been able to yelp one up for. Yeah. And um, I mean, and these are guys who can flat run a yelper. I mean, these are elite level callers, good turkey hunters. But they did it because it was effective. And I watched them do it. I killed a few that way, and was like, man, that's that's pretty wild. It's kind of cool to have a um, a a silver bullet in your back yeah, pocket. Yeah, like a different like, tool. Exactly, yeah. like a different tool. Like that's that's pretty strong. Um, and 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 so I personally adapted that to the way that I hunt 
around here. And we have tons of fields, big fields, small fields, lots of logging roads and open places. We don't have expansive, dense forests like, say, timberland ground in Alabama or South Carolina or even in the hills of Georgia. Mm-hmm. We just have a lot of pockets, like 30 acres of here and then a big field of and woods. another 30 of but, woods, yeah. But, but we have tons of open spaces. That's right. And our turkeys live in open spaces. Mm-hmm. And and um, they don't. That's not the way it is everywhere. Like in South Carolina, Boozer and I always laugh about like if his turkey flies down, his turkey wants to the 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 traditional South Carolina gobbler does not want to stand out in the open. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's about to die if he's standing in the open. He wants to be in thick stuff and in the trees and in the shadows and all that. Our turkeys are quite the opposite. They don't want to be in the thick stuff. They want to be standing out in the open. They want to be seen. And I don't really know why God made them that way, but they <laughs> they behave different. Our yeah. turkeys will walk through the middle of a field, you know, to the end of it. Readily. And yeah. and their turkeys would walk around the edge. Okay? So so as I was growing up and, and watching turkeys do this, the number one thing you struggled with was how to get from this end of the field to the other end or from this corner to this other corner. Like you're seeing a gobbler at three or 400 yards out there, and you need to get the last 60 yards or 70 yards to get in position to work mm-hmm. him. And if you can't get that 60 yards, you're just completely out of the game. But if you can get that 60 yards – you can probably call him to you. And that might be just crossing a logging road. It might just be coming around the corner. It might be going over a terrace. Just mm-hmm. a small spot where he can see you. If you can get past that little window where he can't see you again, then you can get, you know, you, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, the positioning exactly. of it. That was all part of the strategy that, and, and part of the way we learned to hunt. And so I started, after hunting with these friends, I started carrying a fan in the back of my vest that folded up. And I, I can't remember. I think it was the one that came on the Flextone decoy. Yeah. Um, it was silk, and it, it folded, like, in four parts, almost like a Chinese fan. You know, yep, like, yep. You, okay. And and I um, took a, a Jake fan and glued the feathers to it, tied them to it, like, where it was durable, but it had a silk back and, and real feathers on the yep, front of it. Yep. Okay. Worked incredibly well. And I didn't ride around – on dirt roads looking for a strutter out in the field to crawl to, but I carried it in, in my vest so that if I needed to get 20 yards or I needed to cross a logging road or go around a corner or up over a terrace, I'd pop that fan out and yeah, I a would a little bit of cover. Yeah. Just yeah. literally to get in position. And, um, man, I can think of five or six times where a bird saw that from a couple hundred yards away. And before you could even hit the dirt and get to the tree you wanted to get to, he came running and died. And there's videos out there. I mean, there's one of me on YouTube at and at my dad's house doing mm-hmm. this very thing, trying to get in position for a bird that had three or four hens with him and was strutting out in a field, and we needed to get up the last 50 yards of the logging road. I left Dawson behind me, and I crept up to try to get to the base of this big tree. And when I came around the little corner kind to of get in front yeah. of that tree, I didn't even peek out behind the fan. I just had the fan in front of me. Dawson – and I and I kind of looked under the fan, and that sucker had closed 150 God. yards, like in in 10 seconds. Yeah. And so I just froze, and here I'm in the middle of this logging road, like, oh dang, you know, he got close. I dropped the fan, shot him. It was awesome. I mean, like it was a great, ex- cool experience, and and it made for incredible video footage. Oh, like, yeah. It's out there. I, the same is true for like trips first turkey. Mm-hmm. I never in a million years set up on that turkey with the idea that we would just 
drive up to a field and get out and crawl towards a turkey and and, and well that hunt and, was and that hunt was over it right? was over. y'all were standing right. there talking and then they walk up these... right but if you watch that video yeah what you see is that we got down low there were a bunch of yellow top flowers mm-hmm. dad saw that jake saw him walking out into the field we just got down below it but yeah. where i went i went about 30 yards i crawled back to where we were set up mm-hmm. where our, our gobbler loungers and our vests were and i had that fan in the back of my vest for this for not for that particular situation but for the same situation i was describing for positioning yeah. it helped me get in the right position so i saw those out there and i thought man i can cut the distance in half to that jake get trip a shot blah 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 you know so so there's a I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying that that's how I have hunted with a fan until just recently, just a few years ago. I never hunted with a fan with the intention of, hey, you know, there's one out there in the middle. Let's just, let's go to him and, and kill him. You know, let's ride around until we find one we can crawl out to. I always used a fan to get me into the right position to be able to call one up. Now, does that mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong? No, I, I just wanted to share my experience because it is a very effective tool for positioning. Now, do I still do that? No. I've quit carrying my fan for two reasons. First reason is because I know my own weakness. Mm. I like to see a gobbler die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to that's, be any more honest It's a pretty than strong way of saying <laughs> like, it. Like when you're in that in the, point of decision. In the words of Boozer, a day with a dead one is all. A lot more enjoyable than a day without one. That's right. And so I know that if I see a bird out there, I'm going to be inclined to want to show him a fan. I'm going to be, you know, like it's, you know, it's the same reason I don't go to a strip club. Like, I know it's going to bring out something bad in me, you know. And and I say bad, I realize people are listening to this and they don't think that fanning is bad. And I respect that opinion. But I, I guess what I wanted to share is that over the last few years, as I've listened to Dr. Chamberlain and as I've experienced a decline in the population of the places that I like to turkey hunt, mm-hmm. I've been concerned about my own turkey numbers yeah. on my farm, on the places that I go hunt. And so um, where this hits home for me is that I do think that the turkeys that respond, again, this is opinion, not science, but I do think that the turkeys that respond with that aggressive approach towards your fan that um, that we all love yeah. <laughs> or that's enjoyable, I do think that that kills more dominant birds than it kills subdominant birds. Yeah. And if what Dr. Chamberlain is saying is true about the dominant birds doing the breeding and the subdominant birds not even having enough testosterone to grow a pair, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, then then. Yeah then I'd be remiss if I didn't look at myself in the mirror and say, man, uh, am I doing this right? Yeah. Like, should I reconsider how I, how I do this? And so as a result, I have. Um, there were 10 times this spring that I really, really, really would have liked to have a fan in the back of my vest. Like, it would have made it, it would have been the difference between walking out empty-handed and walking out with a dead gobbler. Do you feel... And I don't know if this will take the conversation direction that you don't want to go, but do you feel that there is a divide, an Easter, the Easterlies and the Westerlies about kind of this conversation of fanning? Do you feel like, I guess to say it this way, do you feel like fanning a turkey is as effective in the woods as it is in the open? Um, 
Not really. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think it's as effective in the woods as it is out in the open. But I would say that only because in the woods, you can't see a turkey for three or 400 yards away. Right. If a turkey sees so, – so there's less <laughs> – like there, the volume of turkeys that could see the fan in the woods is less than the volume of turkeys you could show a fan in a wide open space. That's right. So, so I think that, that – this is just my gut, but I think the effectiveness of it – on a percentage basis, is the same. It's just a matter of how many of them can see it. Okay. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is like, if I had to guess, if you showed ten gobblers a, a fan from a hundred yards, I think seven or eight of the ten are going to respond. And 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 that's not scientific, but but I'll say I if let's put it this way, if you gave me a fan, yeah, and you got me inside two hundred yards of a gobbler. I think I could get inside a hundred and kill seven or eight out of the ten. I think my effectiveness. Now, if you put me at two hundred yards to a turkey across an opening, and I've only only thing I've got is a yelper, I would say my effectiveness is one out of ten. Hmm. And that's that's why I've had to have some soul searching and try to modify my own behavior because I, again, I can't speak for everyone. I can't yelp as well as Hunter Wallace or Josh Grossenbacher. But I can yell pretty good, mm-hmm. and, and and you give me a bird a couple hundred yards away in a field, you know, and he's got a hen with him, for example. Like uh, once in a while, I'll talk that bird into coming to me. I may end up killing him later in the morning by getting in a better position or something like that, getting closer sure. to him. But if it's just me and him, or, or just me and those birds, and there's nothing between us but you know blue sky, yeah. Uh, my, I'm, I'd say I'm ten to twenty percent you know, at calling those birds in. But you give me a fan and allow me to crawl mm-hmm. that extra 100 yards, uh, that bumps up somewhere between 70 and 90%, honestly. Okay. So that sort of increased effectiveness is fun yeah, and enjoyable. But ultimately, what is that? I'm not sure that that's the that? best thing for our turkey population. Mm. Um, now, I want to take that one step further because – Again, we're just talking about my opinion, and we're talking about what I do, okay? And I'm not saying everybody has to do this. I'm not saying if you don't do it my way, you're doing it wrong. We're Now we're having what I alluded to in the front part of the conversation, which was we're just talking about our own tactics and our own behavior. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're not talking about what we tell the, <laughs> the, the PETAs, okay? Yeah. We're just talking yeah. – man to man and so i'm just kind of telling you what my personal standards are Mm -hmm. so when i hunt with my kids i hunt with a strutter decoy um i probably won't do that forever and i and and that's coming to an end because of their ability to hunt is is improving but but um maddie hasn't shot a gun as much as trip has so i have a couple of things that i try to use to stack the odds in her favor I use a tripod of some sort or a or a pole. Um, I've got one that they make for snow goose hunting that's like 24 inches tall, and it's got a little fork at the top. And I put that in front of her so that she can keep her the, the forearm of her gun in it. Yep. And it keeps her from having to lift the whole gun and hold it up for a long period yeah. of time. And if make a, bird a big gets in movement. Close, or, yeah. yeah. It, it allows her to make a small movement, slide the butt up into her shoulder, and then – She's good to go. Right. And, I, and I've used the same thing with trip. I started them out with one of the bog death grips where the gun is rock solid, in position, 
and and locked down, and he can sit Indian style underneath that thing, and he can play games on my phone or whatever. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Bird comes in, guns in position. All he's got to do is move his hands. It also allows him to get a steady shot. Mm-hmm. So so I've done that for two reasons with them. The first is because I respect the turkey enough that I don't want to shoot one's leg off and you know and have a coyote eat it. You know, I yeah. want if my kid's going to pull the trigger, I want to have a good clean shot. And to be quite honest, that's the reason my kids have not shot a 410. I've had them shooting a 20 gauge since they were big, since yeah. since I had a bog death grip. I tried one spring with the 410 and I didn't really like it. I wasn't comfortable with it. And I immediately took trip at age six to a 20 gauge because I felt like I could give him a good enough rest mm-hmm. to take the recoil out. But I had enough extra shot to where if he made a marginal shot, shot it was still a safe was, shot. Exactly. The, it increased the shot. odds of, yeah. of a humane kill. Hmm. Okay. So, so there's, there's two factors involved here. One is what's the most effective what, what what's the most effective tool I can give my kid to kill the turkey with the gun? But then the second the second um, factor in that is that them being successful is what makes them want to be a hunter long term. Yep. Okay. Yep. If I take my kid out there, no blind, no tripod, and I give him a Mossberg 835 12 gauge with a three and a half inch, you know, TSS load in it, and I yelp him up a turkey, and he's got to hold that big gun, and his arms are hurting, and then he shoots it, and it blacks his eye and breaks his nose, and he misses. Yeah. I'm not doing myself or conservation efforts a, a, a solid by raising the next generation of hunters. I just made sure that he plays golf for the rest of his life and, and yeah, goes to Christmas parties and he's not a hunter. And, yeah, you know? yeah. Nothing against golf or Christmas parties, but you know, you don't want to say like I'm, I'm, I'm. So, so there's yeah. part of it, like there's a part of being successful for the kid that helps them love it and they learn to enjoy it. And so, so back to the decoy thing. Yeah, I've got a strutter decoy with my kids because when the turkey comes in to a strutter decoy, he's focused on the strutter decoy. Takes out some of the opportunity from it allows them to move a little bit if they need to Mm -hmm. it takes their eyes off of me and the call and and puts it on the decoy yeah all right i don't like to hunt with a strutter decoy myself not because it's not effective because heaven knows it's very effective but i get a thrill out of out of a gobbler that's coming through the woods or even through a field and he and i've yelped at him a minute ago and he knows the tree i'm on and so he's He's bobbing his head and he's looking. Like, there's a different challenge in that. Yeah. In the same way that like bow hunting is a different challenge than a 400 yard rifle shot. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not saying if you don't bow hunt, you're you're not a real hunter. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying if you don't hunt with a decoy, you know, if you hunt with a decoy, you're not a real hunter. I'm just trying to share my own experience. Sure. So I've I'm at a place in my life where I really enjoy being in the woods with one. I really enjoy one looking for me. That's just a different kind of thrill. And, and it's not as effective. I don't kill as many that way as I would if I was hunting with a decoy. Yep. Um, now, with my kids, I'm, they're not quite ready. Tripp's not ready to have one coming through the woods looking for him. He'll spook it. He'll take a bad shot. And that discourages him. You know, and so I, I, it's not all about self-esteem, but I'm trying to stack stuff in his favor. Sure. And, like, slowly progress to the level of, of difficulty, if you will. And I guess ultimately the desire is that he'll want more mm-hmm. as he gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. And, and honestly, I want us to have a good time together. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's just make it a little bit of a bigger conversation than just whether or not we kill a turkey. But 
Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason we go in the woods with our kids to hunt is not to feed our family. We're going out there because it's part of God's creation, yeah. and and it's and it's our op- opportunity to enjoy what He's made for us. And, and so, I want it to together. be a good experience. And let me just tell you, brother, you take a you you put a kid in the spot, and he takes a crummy shot, and it and it bruises his his cheekbone, and he has to go to school on Monday morning and tell his friends he missed. That that doesn't make for a positive memory. It doesn't yeah. make for a positive interaction. Yeah. And the kid's not gonna. He's not gonna be like, oh, I can't wait to go do that again. <laughs> no, like like yeah. you know, you got you got an obligation as a dad to try to stack the odds in their favor hmm. to some extent. Give them a good clean shot. Help them be successful. It's no different than we would do. I mean, we do this in basketball. We lower the goal to eight foot. We do it in in baseball. We we start on a tee and then we do coach pitch and then we do kid pitch. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. we 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 change okay. the the progression of the difficulty level. And so, um, I say all that to say that if I was king, I'd have different rules for kids mm-hmm. and those under the age of let's just call it eighteen. I'd have different rules for them than I do for adults. You know, an, like a an, lot of things. Have like different. a lot of things, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason for this to be different. So I'm not going to sit my kid in the woods, no blind, no decoy, no nothing, and make him figure out how to kill that turkey. I'm going to help him small ways. And then at some point I'm going to go, okay, buddy, it's time to take the training wheels off. Yeah. Like, let's try this. Let's, let's try this. You know, it's you versus the turkey, you know. Yeah. And you know what? Over time, that creates a, a young man that's confident in his ability, number one. Number two, he's learned a lot about woodsmanship. Mm-hmm. he's learned that, oh, you know what? When that decoy is there, I could get away with movement. When that decoy is not there, I can't. Yeah. So so I want him to see how it can be done, and then I want him to learn in a progression of, of, of difficulty, you know? And, and so where does that fit in with conservation and turkey populations? It, well, in my opinion, we need to have different rules for kids and young folks than we do adults. If you're an adult onset hunter, you're 30 years old and you're and you're, you're adult onset. That's a, I think it's a real thing. No, it's a real thing. But if you're an adult and yeah. you didn't grow up hunting, you know you you have long arms, strong muscles. You can hold a shotgun up. You can yeah. learn how to sit still in a different way than a 10 year old kid can. Mm-hmm. So I think the standard's different for you. You're an adult. You mm-hmm. know, um, I say that to say that I think that we should make rules differently for the kids and the youth days than we should the adults. I think that kids ought to be able to just about, <laughs> we ought to be able to get away with just about anything with the kids, you know, mm. but we shouldn't with adults. I mean, we ought to hold ourselves to a little higher standard. Sure. Not, not because, I mean, just, just because we can, you know, it's good for the, it's good for the game. It's so if we're going to hold kids to a different standard than we hold adults, and when I say adults, I'm really just talking about your average blue collar weekend warrior guy. Okay, guy who gets who works Monday through Friday and hunts Saturday and Sundays sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if there's different rules for those two, I also think that there should be different rules for outfitters. Mm. So, so again, we're just talking about my opinion on this topic, right? If you've got a 300 acre lease that you and your brother hunt, and y'all sit down at the beginning of turkey season, you're like, you know what, Ben, we're gonna we're gonna shoot two gobblers off this place because we've seen eight or whatever it is, you know, and that's what y'all feel comfortable with, and it's within the realm of the laws. I don't really care how you kill them. If you want to go fan them, you know, that's no skin off my back. 
if you wanted, if you had eight gobblers and you wanted to fan all eight of them, I would say that you're you're exploiting the resource. It's unwise. It's unwise. It's not prudent. Um, and so I think that the 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 standard here should be: am am I exploiting the resource? Am I am I taking more than I'm giving or more than I'm allowing to stay? Or am I, you know, is it too much or, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like this restraint thing. And so the reason I say kids versus adults and then outfitters is that outfitters have the ability to put pressure on a place in a different different volume than your blue collar weekend warrior guy for two reasons. One is an outfitter's doing it for a job. So seven days a week, he's available, theoretically. Second thing is that if he's hunting a property, the game laws for him and that property were designed for him. They weren't designed for him to bring a a customer every single day of the 45-day season or the 20-day, whatever length the season is. The the law that governs him and that property is, is designed for him and that property. It's not designed for him plus someone and that property. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure somebody's going to listen to that and say, you're wrong about that. I disagree with that. But I just want to draw um, a distinction between kids, your regular weekend warriors, and outfitters. And you know what? If somebody wanted to say, you know what, Spence, you should get treated like the outfitters, I'd be okay with that. They're right. I make a living doing this. I have the ability to travel. I have the ability to hunt basically any day that I want to, yeah. you know, within whatever Lindy allow, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean so, so, so I would be okay with, with some rules that, that governed pros or outfitters or whatever category you wanted to put in it. Sure. You know, like, like if, if you're, if you're in that category of this is your job, by gosh, you ought to hold yourself to a higher standard. Mm. You think LeBron James, you know, shoots jump shots every day of the week or Steph Curry? You dang right they do. That's how they make a living. Yeah. So so they're they're investing back into themselves and into, you know, how they make a living. They they have to think about the future. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about like fishing charters and those sorts of things. I mean, are they held to a different standard of I don't know the back limits? That. Okay. I was I, just I curious. do know they're I, in in every one of those capacities they're held at least to a different licensure. Yeah, you know, in Arkansas, if you're a waterfowl guide, you have to buy a waterfowl guide license. Hmm. I don't think there's any sort of an outfitter license for turkeys. I'm not aware of any states. There may be one, yeah. but I don't think there's one in Tennessee. Yeah. I'm not aware of one in Arkansas. So, like, literally in Tennessee, I could have a hunter here every day that paid me to go find him a turkey, and we ride around with a fan, and we could shoot a turkey off every single one of these farms around here and do would deplete your, I believe I could kill every gobbler in this County if I had permission to be on the land. Mm. And and so I'm look, I, I'm now I'm starting to throw a lot of shade towards outfitters. And I just want to say, I, there are a whole bunch of these outfitters that are very dear friends of mine. I love them to death. They're a ton of fun to be with. They've got a successful business and I'm not at all trying to undermine or, or <laughs> take food off their table. Okay. Yeah. But but I am saying that it's in, in some way we need to be mature enough to say is this what's best for the resource mm-hmm. when we, when we're when we're evaluating a, a perpetual decline in the turkey population is it okay for us to be shooting you know two three four in the same day behind a fan like like yeah I, I guess my question would be and I don't know if you're necessarily proposing 
what the change would be, but are you proposing a a method change for um, for outfitters? Are you proposing like a total limit for outfitters in particular areas? Like they can kill twenty birds in this county. And it's almost like yeah, an that's allocation. A good, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I hadn't really thought that far. Um, that would be good, you know, some some form of an allocation, I guess, across a certain number of acres. You know, I think New Mexico does something similar with landowner permits and elk. Mm. You know, if you own a 10,000-acre ranch, you're kind of – there's some – You're allowed you're, to You're allowed sell to request a certain number of tags, I think, based I, I on gotcha. what you think you have. Um, so there, there's some precedent for that, and I, and I would be okay with that just because if we're cognizantly thinking about how many do we have – Right. How many should we kill? Right. That's a whole lot better than just not thinking about the resource and just yeah. killing whatever we can kill because yeah. it's, it's still daylight and I've got a customer in the truck and you know yeah. we got to tag him out. Because that's the thing I think you are too, but I'm I'm definitely sympathetic to the outfitter who this is their livelihood sure. and this is what they're trying to do and you know if the, if those restrictions were put in place, like how does that affect their ability to do their job? Long term and provide, it changed, it, and it, I mean, maybe they could just raise their prices if they got fewer, fewer allocations or something along those lines. They but, could. I, I, I mean, that's just the nature of business. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean there's regulations that get put in place all the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with import what's going tariffs on, with with plastics and and metals. I mean, well, it, I mean, just what's what's with what's going on with the government right now. If they decide that screwing anything to the end of your barrel, yeah, constitutes sure. a silencer. Well, like, what do you do with chokes then? Right. Like. Right. So I'm sympathetic too, but that's just part of business. I mean, yeah. you got to learn how to adapt, right? Sure. So I do think these outfitters can adapt. I mean, we're not mm. saying they shouldn't turkey. I'm not suggesting they shouldn't turkey hunt. Yeah. I'm just suggesting, I'll just be candid. I'm suggesting that in Kansas, you should not be able to, you should not be allowed to feed turkeys corn from a timed feeder or from a pile on the ground, but just baiting much as you can afford to bait and hunt behind a fan. That's not okay. Hmm. We're foolish to think that that is okay. Yeah. I, and and I'll, I'll probably get a ton of hate for that, but there are tons and tons and tons of outfitters whose business is built around a feeder over close to some trees at a place they can see from the road. They drive by that feeder. They glass that feeder from the road. If there's a strutter out there, get the customer, crawl out there, kill the turkey. Go to the next one. And they and that their their whole system is built on that, and I am of the opinion that that's an exploitation of the resource that we need to stop. Hmm. You know what? I also think that we shouldn't be shooting turkeys with a rifle from the road or from fifty yards or from any distance. I think South Dakota should change that rule. I Texas. think Texas should change that rule. I think Florida should change that rule for a couple reasons. One is it's just not necessary. We don't need a rifle to kill a turkey in 2022. But it's also dangerous. There is danger and that's you know? that's a the safety question is something that that comes up a lot. I mean, I understand it on public ground why yep. fanning or reaping shouldn't be allowed on public ground just because I first of all, if you're a hunter who fans on public ground, I would be concerned for my own safety if I did mm-hmm. something like that, just not getting shot by some Yahoo. But yeah. on private ground, you kind of touched on it earlier. Like if you've got two bird, if you've got eight gobblers and two, and you want to fan them, go yeah. ahead. Well, you it, know, I, I understand why somebody would feel that way. But let me just explain to you why I don't feel that way. Why you wait? Wait. Why you don't feel what way? The 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 whole the the idea of eight gobblers, and if you want to fan two of them, go for it. Yeah. 
I don't agree with that. Okay, I'm sorry. Now, I thought I'm were... not going to tell you that you shouldn't do that. That's what I mean. But, okay. but I'm not going to personally do that, and here's why. Yeah. If I have 300 acres to hunt and there's only eight gobblers on it, I believe that if I use the fan, I'm going to kill the two dominant gobblers off my place. Yeah. I yeah. might have six gobblers left, but I think that they're going to be the ones who aren't as good at breeding as the two that I killed. Yeah. yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I realize it's not a perfect science, and you're not always going to kill the most dominant one. Sure. But, but we're talking about we're talking about how I'm governing my own behavior. And so what I'm trying actively to do in light of the things I've learned from Dr. Chamberlain is I'm trying my best to not kill the most dominant bird on my place. Yeah. Which means a lot of things. I mean, it means that I don't, it's just what I'm trying to do Yeah. (laughs) because I want to have more turkeys. Mm -hmm. And so I, am I right? I don't know. Do I think that I'm erring on the side of caution? Yes, definitely. And so, do I think it's good for other people to err on the side of caution? Given the landscape, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is just a place that we're not, again, we're not talking about what's what's right versus what's wrong, and we're not talking about you're a good guy, I'm a bad guy. We're talking about there's not as many turkeys as there used to be. What sort of things can we do to try to improve the odds that we have more turkeys in the future? Yeah. And I'm looking at it going – one thing I can do is try to shoot the turkeys that aren't doing the breeding. Like if he's mm. got a nice long beard and a full fan, that's cool. But you know what? I also realize every now and then I'm going to kill the dominant bird. Yeah. But I can I can eliminate some behaviors that I feel like absolutely Ensure. put me in, in position to yeah. kill the dominant bird, which is not hunting over a strutter decoy, mm-hmm. unless it's my kids. Uh, that's the exception to that rule for me personally. And then not, not crawling behind the fan. I, I feel like those two things put me in a spot to kill more of my dominant gobblers than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, this was a long, I'm not going to hit the big, no, no, but this was a long um, conversation for me to just say, this is how I'm endeavoring to behave. This is how some, a lot of my friends are endeavoring to behave and to hunt. Yeah. Because we care about the future. Not, not because I'm not sitting here at all. We'll make this clear coming from some high horse of like, man, if you don't yelp him up, you know, without a decoy, like I'm not trying to come from this angle of being just overly purist. Um, there, there's a part of tradition and, and the purity of kind of the sport that I really enjoy and I think is cool, mm-hmm. but, but I, I'm not quite that narrow-minded, okay? Th- this really is motivated by if some of my gobblers do the breeding and the rest don't, I really want to try to not kill the ones that are breeding because I like my turkeys and I want more of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there you go. <laughs> and that doesn't matter if it's on my farm or if it's at the place I get to hunt in Kansas or in Oklahoma or wherever. Yeah. Like, I just, I want there to be turkeys. Yeah. I want to be able to go somewhere and shoot some turkeys. And yeah. uh, now, I'll tell you one other thing. So, so if I was king, what I would do is I would allow all the tricks to be played with kids. Frankly, if you told me in Tennessee that you could hunt over a pile of corn with a strutter decoy and let a kid kill one bird, I'd be okay with that. I'd rather my kid kill one successfully and have a great experience than I would mm. me kill one. Yeah. I, I, I'm good. I know we're not going to start baiting in Tennessee. I'm not suggesting that. Sure. Just saying that the rules ought to be different for kids. I think that adults, blue-collar guys, ought to have – a lot of tools at their disposal. Be okay with them hunting over a Jake decoy or even a strutter, you know, from 
but I think we should have limited bag limits and later season dates. I think all those things are really good. I think outfitters ought to be held to a really high standard. Mm. They're pros. Um, Now, all that being said, I also think, given the current landscape with as many people traveling, I think we ought to all stop at one turkey in a in a state that we're not a resident of. I was going to bring that up because, like, when we went to Indiana, yep. we all shot one tur- – or they all shot one turkey, were completely satisfied, and there didn't feel like this pressure. Correct. Like, well, let's get the next one. Yep. It was just like, one turkey, we're good. Yep. Um, and I think that would I, you be – You know, there's a lot of folks that, that are doing the, the 49 – Mm-hmm. And there's a, I mean, Dave Owens has a huge following, and and he's done some fantastic things for, um, for, he's done some fantastic things for traveling, and he's brought some attention to it. And I, I there's tons of good that comes from that. But do we need to go to a state like Kansas and shoot four turkeys? I mean, I'm glad Kansas has changed their limit. Do we need to go to a state like Wisconsin and stand on them? You know, do we need to go? I think we need to all try to have a little more restraint. And that's really what I'm saying is, is mm. again, this is not about what's legal and what's not legal. But I think that we, as traveling turkey hunters, if you've got the kind of job that allows you to travel and shoot in five or six or seven states, man, I kind of feel like we ought to just shoot one. Yeah. You know, in a, Ask in a yourself state. that question mm-hmm. and, and put yourself to it. Um, and, and, and you know what else? It's, it's fun to go with somebody and watch them shoot a turkey. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's as much fun as pulling the trigger yourself and smiling behind that big fan. Yeah. But but it's fun. And and we can enjoy it for that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I've rambled all over the place. That's okay. I, I, I think that some self-regulation, um, I think it's gut check time. I think what we should be doing as hunters is asking ourselves, all right, do I believe – the science that talks about dominant gobblers and their breeding behavior. Do I believe that? Yes or no? If I don't believe what Dr. Chamberlain and all these other guys are saying about dominant gobblers doing all the breeding, then this conversation is really not for me, I guess. Yeah. But if you do believe that, then my challenge to you is how are you hunting differently? How are you managing your properties differently? How are you behaving differently in light of information that, 15 years ago, we didn't know to be true. 15 years ago, we thought if you kill the turkey that's gobbling the next day, another goblin turkey pops right in there and takes its place. And so we didn't think about, is that a dominant bird versus not a dominant bird? This is all new information. And Mm. so you owe it to yourself and to the future of the sport to seriously wrestle with how am I going to respond to this new information? Am I going to ignore it? Or am I going to change my own behavior? It's, again, it's not a, the, the, the object here is not to just hear new information and then go, well, how, how do the laws affect this? I mean, <laughs> that was not meant to be the standard. We've got yeah. new information at our disposal about dominance and breeding behavior. Let's all take a minute and, and, and wrestle with that, yeah. you know? So there you go. That's my take on fanning. I like it. It'll be. Um, I sorry. don't think as many people listen to this as Doctor as they as listen to Doctor Chamberlain, but, um, you know, I I got after that episode, I had a handful of friends and foes send screenshots of turkeys that I'd fanned, and 
you know, trips turkey and handful of like, you know, what was sort of, you know, boy, you're you're one to talk kind of yeah, pot shots if you will. And um I, that was not the intention at all. I'm not at all sitting here saying I've never done it, that I would never do it again <laughs> or that it doesn't work. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here as a guy who's like, you know, I've done it a bunch. It worked really well, but I don't think it's good for my turkey population or for, you know. Yeah. Cocaine's kind of the same way. Like, I could probably get a lot done if I snorted a little cocaine, but I don't think the ramifications are good for me. You know? No, I don't think that. I don't think that's good for you, a little booger sugar. Not so much. I don't know how to get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's okay. I mean, this is we've, – yeah. we've definitely been – down in the weeds and for sure I, I, I can close it by just saying you know i would encourage people to get involved just like we did on the last podcast fill out your harvest surveys pay attention to what yeah. folks like man go follow dr chamberlain go follow marcus lashley read the research yeah and then have the you know the guts to mm-hmm. say how should i you know what do i do with this in yeah. the same way that you know we go to church on Sunday and we listen to the preacher preach and we read the Bible and we go, how do how do I need to live differently? Like you go like, home and think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, you grapple with it. Well, something too, I mean, please send us questions and we'll and we can put up a, a, a question deal on Instagram yep. or just if you have questions, you can message me or message Spence or the Rolling Thunder page. I mean, and we'll we'll try to get to those yep. too. Yep. Later. So and we we've got some other opinions coming. Yeah. We're gonna try to not make this whole summer about fanning, but given some of the videos that are out there of me fanning and, and I mean the fanning that I've done and how I feel about it now. And then kind of the whole scuttle this spring, I just felt like I had an obligation to speak up and to yeah. explain where I stand on, on the topic. And so, you know, if, if you enjoy fanning turkeys and you're going to keep fanning turkeys, Hey man, I, I'm not your, I'm not your enemy <laughs> at all. Um, if you think that you shouldn't hunt over a decoy and you're a purist and you think you should just yelp one up, like, cool, man. I, I'm I'm good with that too. I I want to be open minded enough, but what I want to be is intentional. And I hope that we'll all be intentional with our behavior. I want us to just do things because we think it's good for the future of the sport and not just because it's a because it's legal. Take what I can get now, yeah. and you know, Paul Paul didn't leave me any buffaloes, so I'm not going to leave my kids. Any. I mean, that's mm. not the right way for mm. us to behave. Do it on purpose. Um, okay. Yolo is also not the right way. To, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, true. So uh, anyway, all right. On that, we'll we'll close it down. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Yeah, thanks for listening. See you on the next one.